CAVC Voice, learning for life. Hello and welcome Friday the 13th of May to CAVC Voice here at Cardinal College. This is the podcast and learning for life produced here at CAVC. Whether you're a student, a teacher, a parent, an employer or an interested passerby, we will be giving a voice to all things related to education and lifelong learning. Delighted to be with my co-host James Donaldson. Afternoon. And in each episode, we speak to a new guest, some new voices. And I'm delighted to be joined today by our new voices, Joe Marler and Tom Fordyce. This is the point where we say hello, Joe. Yeah, this is strange. It's weird. Usually we're doing that bit that you guys just did. And now I feel, I don't know, I feel uncomfortable. Do you feel uncomfortable? I'm worried that we're both going to either talk at the same time or not talk at the same time. Do we need some sort of little hand signal or something? Can you just hold my hand through this? <laughs> I I'm can hold your hand. Well, I'm giving hand signals to try and, you know, guide as well. So we should, we should be all right. But now you know what your audience feels like and all your guests feel like on, on the other side of the sofa. I don't like it. Maybe we should be, <laughs> should be nicer to our guests rather than making them feel yeah. uncomfortable. No, thank you. Thank you for having us. No, it's, 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 it's wonderful to have you here um, and, and can't, can't, get, can't, can't wait to get into this. Um, I'm, I'm starstruck. I can't, I can't speak. So, um, so Joe, um, you know, you, you, you are a, a world-class athlete. Uh, you have... You, you, well, you are, and um, <laughs> perform. So the podcast doesn't. Yeah. Can't. This is Joe Marler. You... <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, you sorry, just tucking my McDonald's away. No, and um, <laughs> but you, you know you've performed at such a high level, and uh, in Japan, New Zealand, but then also doing your podcasts. You, 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 you've written a book, and, and you've brought Tom with you as well. And, and Tom, <laughs> you've got you've you've got a fantastic career in terms of. I remember seeing your name on the BBC website of, of all those uh, all those articles that, that you produced. Slagging people off. Yeah, no, like, yeah, oh, they're quite balanced. He was, po- he was a positive yeah. full of insight. But positive, full of insight yeah. and humble, apparently. Yeah, I think I think you set the standard of what of, of what what came after that. I'm but, not sure about that, but, but thank you. But then, but then, <laughs> but then the podcast as well. After that, with, with Peter Crouch and, and more importantly, Joe Marder as well. Um, so it, it's great, it's great to have you both here. And um, and and yeah, can't 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 wait to get, get cracking into this. So so what's brought you here today? Well, we've come down to uh, to do a talk to some of the students about um, trying to inspire and motivate going into their exam period. Um, as well as giving a little bit of advice and, I don't know, experience on on what I've been through, um, the ups and downs, and hoping that they can resonate and take a little bit going into their exam period. And Tom's just come along for a jolly. I've come along for the free lunch. (laughs) Have you had it yet? No, I'm really hungry. Oh, right. Otherwise, yeah. This is an incentive for us to complete the podcast. It is a great lunch. um, Excellent news. It is an incentive, as as Yusuf says, to complete this. so, I just want to start off with, with loose head. Um, so, one of the things I, I gather from that, as we've got biscuits, biscuits, biscuits coming in as well. Biscuits in. Brilliant. <laughs> how many, just before you ask this, Chris, sorry, you said, how many of those biscuits could you eat, Joe? I'm All sick. Let me just talk, talk the listeners through. We've got two of your classic bourbons, two custard creams, three shortbreads, three... Is that an oat crunch, would you say? It does look oat crunch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two jam sandwiches, two chocolate fingers, uh, three nice or nice biscuits, a couple of chocolate chips. What are these ones? What are we calling these ones? Short ready again? Short ready, normally. So once you that's, that's a variety box, isn't it? That's Where would you start variety. on those biscuits? Well, my first observation is it's a variety pack that's all come together. It's been decanted onto a nice tray. It has, but I think there's a couple missing. Well, I think of the malted ones. 
They're not there. Oh, yeah. What about the one with the cow? Or That's the, the multiple. Yeah, there we go. There's a Chop cow. There's a couple of cows. Yeah. How many is there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three. About 20. All of them. <laughs> Time frame? <laughs> Just now? Fine. Back to the oh, podcast, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, but this, this, this is interesting. Any, any preference on the... You, you didn't describe how they're laid out, you know? I think that, that's important. Well, yeah, that's true. I am on a three-week... Uh, I'm three-week deep. I'm three weeks sober from chocolate, actually. I've noticed. Have you? No. <laughs> Did you start? Bastard. Um, me and my wife decided to abstain from chocolate mm-hmm. um, for a month, and it is... Oh, my God, it's doing my nut in. If I'm honest... You've just presented me with four options of eating chocolate and five, six options. I'm feeling quite uncomfortable. And the factually correct, the closest biscuit to you is? The chocolate bourbon. Yeah. And they're my favourite. They're my absolute favourite. Right, can we, can we twist this around, please? Because this, who, this is who put the biscuits on the table? If you were eating that bourbon, bourbon, Joe. <laughs> bourbon you, or bourbon? I, don't, I think the bourbon is the drink, isn't it? So we'll say <laughs> so bourbon. Bourbon, bourbon is, is the bourbon? biscuit. Ah. Would, you, um, would you lift the lid off? Um, and then enjoy the cream filling, or would you bite through and get both top, bottom, Sh- and filling? Straight dip into tea, Ooh. wait for it to go a little bit soggy, <laughs> suck it, and then you've just got the little end that's the little Nubbin. crunch at the end. That's him, that's me, mate, that's me. Sorry, we've <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> really digressed. No, no, no. <laughs> This is great. We, we, this is this is this is brilliant. This I mean, is the content that people wanted. Was <laughs> this it? This is yeah. exactly the content Fine. people wanted. But but I'll make a connection between it because on that on that tray over there, decanted, uh, we've got lots of different kinds of biscuits. And uh, when I was reading Loosehead, ah, what a segue! You ate lots of biscuits. <laughs> I ate loads of biscuits. Well, I heard about all your, all your biscuit eating. That, that was great. But one of the things that that struck me was this 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 identity, and and you know very much search for identity but then sort of expression of identity uh but also maybe just realization of identity and then confidence in identity as well um is, is that something that when reflecting on that you meant to do like to, to to get people to connect to someone who's who's real or who to connect with someone who's who's who's, who's gone through this this authentic journey or is it just the way they came out no there was there was definitely no uh intentional thought of Right, this is what I'm going to do so people connect or don't connect. It was more a case of I really... Who I was growing up, I was just an Aggie kid who had lots of anger issues and um, sort of masked a lot of the insecurities that I had by going over the top with those and having that, that personality of pushing lots and lots of people away or being overly aggressive and bully-like in order to to build up some sort of defence to stop actually letting people in. Could, to, and that's what I think about now, what was going on. But when I was 18, 19, I wasn't there going, oh, I wasn't think, having those conscious thoughts about them. Um, stuff like the hair going out, that I just loved having different hair I mean I sit here now with it half falling out and I've still decided to bleach it have you seen my I like it yeah I've noticed that bleach that and mix it up a bit I like I like I like that so I choose to and I'm much more comfortable with that but there was there was a part of it in rugby as well traditionally has been about very 
private schooled, uh, traditional English upbringing. You, everyone's got the same haircut, usually pretty well off. Um, and I think it was kind of my sort of way of putting two fingers up at that system, mm. which is crazy because I wanted to be a part of the system. So it was a really weird contradiction to it. Um, and then throughout my career, and like I speak about in the book, that it's just about a constant discovery of who who I want to be, who 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 am I most comfortable being, and I've always struggled with that until I still have the old struggle now. But <coughs> I think we all do. We're still trying to work out our most comfortable self, aren't we? Even even you, Tom. It. Mm. 105 years old. 105. <laughs> um, you know, we, we're all we're all still searching for that 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 place where we're like, this is me, this is who I am, and I've got people around me that accept me for that, and the people that don't accept me for that, well, that's okay as well. But we're probably not going to have 20 biscuits over lunch together. So, no, not if um, not if you eat them all. Yeah. <laughs> One of, one of the things that we're, um, we're really keen on uh, in the college always around um, making sure that we prioritise our mental health for ourselves, our staff, our learners, and um, something you touched upon in your talk around normalising mental health and how that becomes less medicalised and more natural conversation. And um, you know, you're not backwards and coming forwards on the pitch or, or, or in your kind of podcast. And how have you... Um, come on that journey that you are sat here today talking about the importance of mental health and all of those kind of resilience uh, I think the, the the conversations I've had over the last few years and the education I've done around understanding what mental health is is where I'm at now with trying to, is your mic buggered is it uh, one I think we're back on, on uh, probably the on button but that'd be good <laughs> um, the trouble is with mental health we, we've spoken about this Tom is that as soon as you when has there ever been a positive <laughs> connotation to the word mental hmm. can you think yeah, of one right. is, is there one like only on the jungle scene in about 1996 when like a really good track would be described as mental but even then it had connotations <laughs> yeah true but then the come down after <laughs> it that was track, shocking that, yeah there's, there's not too many positive connotations no. around mental so as no. soon as you go mental health people are like oh god if I, if I said to you about physical health no one's there going oh it's the invisible nature of mental health Joe isn't it a lot of the time it, it can express itself physically of course but it's the fact that you can't see it if you've injured your calf let's say you're torn your calf in training you come in to the studio today and you're on crutches there's no arguing with the fact that you've injured your calf if you're having a really bad day we can't see it no, and I guess that's why you need to sort of learn the... Oh, my God, I thought that seagull was attacking us then. <laughs> learn the best way to to build a support network in order to help with those days that you are struggling. Yeah. Um, that I, I can go to a friend like Tom and go, Tom, I'm, I'm not feeling good today, mate. I'm struggling. And, and they're there to either go, yeah, me too. I can't do anything to help you because I don't really care about you. Which is, no, that's not what he does. Me too. Let's let's get get through today together. Let's talk about it. Or, okay, mate, I'm here for you. Let's let's still get through it together. So, yeah. um, I, I'm just trying to the, the whole mental health stigma 
is is the one that's I'm constantly trying to fight fight against to try and normalise it because we're we're happy to go go for a run if you you're feeling unfit sort out your diet if you're if you're overweight and they're all things like Tom you've described as you can see and you can measure but why can't we talk about mental health in the same way and learn different techniques to to bring us up when when we're low and learn different techniques to bring us down back to reality when we're too high um I think it's important that we start educating and, and talking about it more because it, it's just it's just it should be easy to talk about. It's just another part of our lives. Everyone suffers low moods. Everyone suffers not suffers enjoys high moods. It's it's just different degrees. And why can't we just talk about it normally the struggles? Because everyone tends to be going through different stuff. It's pretty powerful, I think, when you hear sports people like Joe talk about it because we tend to associate sport with being invulnerable and not experiencing pressure. A lot of sports people are obviously physically very fit and strong. So I think when, Joe, you talk about it, or let's say, for example, when Jonathan Trott, former England cricketer, opened mm-hmm. up about his yeah. struggles with mental health, or Steve Finn, who's also part of our Ashes winning team, it, I think it resonates with people more because we look at sports people as often our heroes, don't we? And they can do things on the, on the field that we can't do. So to understand that they're going through exactly the same processes as us lot and that they can be vulnerable and that they can ask for help, I think is really powerful for people. Do you think sometimes that can be disappointing for people as well? That you're ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> In the sense that, like, oh, I, was, I held uh, Tiger Woods to a certain esteem of, like, he is godlike. He can't do anything wrong. And then it comes out. I think it's and then better. Like, oh god, that's really upsetting. I, I or th- is it normalising? And it's a good thing. I think whenever you put anyone on a pedestal, whether it's a sports person or a, a, um, a rock and roll <coughs> star or whoever it might be, then you are only getting a partial version of them, aren't you? And you will have had sporting heroes, Joe, that you've met and you've gotten really well with, and others where you've been slightly. Maybe let down's the wrong word, but they haven't matched up to the idealised version you've got in your head. Because that idealised version isn't really realistic, is it? Like, we don't need to go into all of Tiger Woods' various misdemeanours. Tiger Woods is fundamentally an extraordinarily good golfer. He's not an extraordinarily nice human being or a human being who's really had a great deal of success at running all those other aspects of his life. He's physically gifted. He's incredibly, unbelievably focused on his golf. I think a better way of dealing with sporting heroes is to go, do you know what, Tiger, I love the way you play golf, and then separate the, the other stuff from it. Okay, thanks. So that was... Is that a longer answer than you wanted? Yeah, I still like Tiger. That's Probably fine. wouldn't go out for a drink with him. No. But it's a and natural thing to do. expect my marriage to be intact, given that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a natural thing to do, isn't it? Because I think particularly in the past, there's been more sort of smoke and mirrors around people who are on pedestals. Whereas on social media, and I know it's selective what people put on social media, but the sort of accessibility is a bit more... And interesting, you mentioned Jonathan Trox. I remember when Marcus Treskovic was... He suffered with mental health problems. And you go back to people like Paul Gascoigne and so on. There was a lot more of a negative perception of that, as if there's something wrong here that they're not dealing with and they should be able to deal with. And I think that's possibly the difference. Like a broken arm or something. Oh, yeah, the sympathy comes in. Oh, we understand why you can't cope with this. But I think there's still that stigma and it's sort of like the overhang of the stigma of, oh, you had a mental health problem. Why can't you deal with it? Why, why has it affected your performance? Why has it come into the public domain? And I think that's a, that, that, do you think that's changed 
as, as, as that got better? Do, do, do you still feel that there's a responsibility on you to, to, to not, you know, exhibit any of these? Sorts I think of it's, it's changing. It's definitely changing. Um, the more people come out and speak about how they feel, how they struggle, how they don't struggle, the more that they come out and have these conversations, the more easier and, and widespread it is for everyone else to go, oh, well, he's doing it. I feel comfortable doing it. And she's doing it. Oh, she's, oh, actually, that resonates with me. Oh, that's, okay, right, I'm going to go check in with a mate of mine. I'm going to go to it. It's definitely getting better from a sporting point of view. I think traditionally, sport sporting teams and sports people always worried about talking about their struggles because it's seen as weakness and we shouldn't be speaking about it. Also, men in society worry about saying, oh, I'm struggling because traditionally we're not meant to struggle. We're meant to be these stoic, strong men who go out and earn the living, come back home, put the bread on the table. And it's like, well, hang on, are we, we're not living in those days anymore. We're living in a far more balanced, equal world. But that's also not ignoring the fact that you still need to have strong resilience and the ability to have um, strong mental resilience in certain things. Um, it's just about being comfortable with, with that vulnerability the, as, as, as well. The prism of mental health has often in the past been that it's a deficit in the individual's character, isn't it, rather than something that's experienced by all of us. And the point that you said there, Joe, about resilience is one that we're quite keen to um, teach our students and put it through all of our curriculum and, and get that um, view that, you know, sort of one rainy day doesn't make a bad summer, does it? And how have you, I guess, learned those techniques and how have you kind of, as you've gone through your career and you, effectively we've all got older, how do you kind of imply those kind of skills and top tips that keep you in in a kind of the right frame of mind, I guess, because there's don't, I'm reticent to use the word normal because there isn't a normal as such as it, but keep you, you know, as the Jomala that we, we see here. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah. I, it's funny you say, ah, oh, the Jomala you see here. Well, again, that's that's still partly, yeah, absolutely, partly yeah. a, a bit of a show because I, I still have my moments. Um, because I don't think there's ever a point where you're like, I'm fine. You, know, you are fine, but sometimes you're not fine. Sometimes you're really fine. It's as basic as that, is what I'm trying to explain with it, is that for me to have experienced a lot of the stuff in my career and outside of my career, um, the tough times. So we're, talk, we're talking mainly career-wise because I can't get into the off-field stuff. We'll be here all night. <laughs> it's a PG podcast. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, it's, it's been challenging. There's been moments where I've I've put myself out there and and been shot down various times in games where I've come unstuck and done something stupid, and then um, torn down on social media and in the press for it. And you go, oh, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with that? Oh, people hate me. People doing that. Oh, what does that do? And you, you you think you have the ability to just go, oh, I don't care what people think. It's fine. I'll just crack on with it. It's quite hard if everyone's always coming at you and, and saying negative things. It's very hard to then go, oh, hang on, I believe everything that they're saying then. I believe that if someone's saying you're not good enough, you're bad, you're, you're a bad person, it's hard to then go, no, I'm not. 
it's quite easy to slip into no I agree with you and then you feel like that and then it it spirals um, so those sort of experiences have then led me to go prioritize things with my family and my friends and reach out to them to to be like am I this bad and they go well that wasn't good that wasn't good we'll tell you truthfully that's not a good thing to do but this this doesn't make you a bad person and we love you because you're good at this and you do this for us and this and then you go all oh, right okay so you prioritize your purpose and 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 what you want to focus on um and that's the experiences i've been through that have made me where i am now and i'll still have some moments where i go oh i'm struggling here but the more i recognize when those moments are happening the easier i can come out of them um the easier it is to turn to my mate tom and go Tom, I'm, I'm struggling a bit. Can we have a chat? Or he'll, he'll already have checked in with me to be like, everything all right, mate? And then that give me an opportunity to then vent or release to him. It's wonderful you have this relationship. And, and Tom, from your perspective, from a journalist's perspective, there's that line of responsibility of looking after people. Uh, do you think there's been a change in terms of writing of... Because there's got to be that line of... well. If we could write whatever we want to write, and that's going to have the impact on whoever it's going to have the impact on. And there's got to be that sort of sense of, if I write it like that, and that impacts on them in such a way. Now, in terms of the, the mental health side of things, it, does that get thought off in terms of, well, if we put that out, I know it's going to be interesting, but actually it's not helping this individual? Is there a balance to be struck there? That's a really good question, because when I did my journalism training, that issue would never have come up. The issue was around... Well, your classics, who, what, where, when, and then that, that idea of breaking news, that a great journalist is one who gets a news story out there. And you never thought about the ramifications for any of the individuals involved of that news story. Now, it probably, ends up, it probably depends where you end up as a journalist and as a writer or a broadcaster. I naturally, I was never going to be a hard news journalist because the stuff that fascinated me was the whys and the hows rather than just the what's. So if I was sitting down at the start of my career with someone like Joe, although Joe would have been three at the time, so I wouldn't have got my sense out of it, um, I was always interested in how they did what they did, and I saw myself as the best thing I could do to, was to be a conduit between the reader slash listener and that elite sporting world. So that probably reflects my characteristic. There's definitely things I did inadvertently at the start of my career where you thought you were making a joke about someone, and you felt that they were so far away, either physically or emotionally, that you could, you could make that joke. Um, so I think there is more of an understanding now. But ultimately, let, let's say you're working for a tabloid. Your priority is not the mental health of the person you're writing about. It's breaking that story and getting that story out there. And you make a decision as a writer or a broadcaster where you want, want to end up. The stuff that, we, that, that Joe and I do together, the stuff that I do on other podcasts... Um, probably reflects the person that I am so I'm more interested in what makes people tick and how they yeah how they do what they do what makes them tick than trying to hold them to moral account necessarily um, you know I've done some good things in my life I've done some bad things so I'm I'm always aware how hypocritical it would be of certain people to go do you know what how dare you do this when you have done things yourself <coughs> that might just simply not have come to the public eye because you are not in the public eye in the same way so I think it, yeah it comes down to individual responsibility. Definitely, if there are uh, younger writers, broadcasters, bloggers, vloggers, whatever it is, listen to this, I would absolutely urge them to, yeah, keep that 
keep that news agenda in your head, but you do need to think about the ramifications of the stuff that you're producing. Yeah, I think it's really powerful and really refreshing to hear that that and, and media organisations will place themselves in different parts, but at least if, if there are some that are leading the way on that, then that, that paints a better picture for us in the future. And I think the final bit, and then you know, James could follow up on this, one of the things that I struggle with as an educator is when you use the word mental health, so much comes with that. And, and so a common phrase that, that that's come up that I would have never come across my table 10 years ago is, oh, I'm struggling with my mental health. Just people to be able to say that. That's great. It, it's brilliant that, that people are talking about that. But there's this thing about being able to function as well. And you, and you spoke about carrying on doing things. I struggle with having, trying to talk to students about struggling with mental health but still functioning. And you know, you've just come in to talk about exams. And a lot of the time, there's a bit of a default. I've got mental health issues, therefore I can't attend. I've got mental health issues, and therefore I can't engage. I've got mental health issues, therefore I can't revise. And the, the, the struggle I have as an educator is trying to say, but you can, whilst at the same time not trying to dismiss the mental health problem or issue. And so I just wondered what your reflections are on that. Do you think it's something that, that, that as, a, as a result of us becoming more aware of mental health, has that made that sort of dynamic a bit, a bit worse, maybe, before it gets better? Or how, how do we deal with this? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of it can be quite easily used as an excuse. Um, as quite like you've just described, oh, I'm struggling, oh, I'm depressed, oh, I've got anxiety, I've got thingy. And I, me I remember a couple of teammates of mine actually saying, before I'd spoken about my lows, I remember they just in conversation, I don't know, I think we're reading up or something, and they went, oh, God, everyone's got mental health problems these days, everyone's depressed, blah, blah, blah. And I was, that made me kind of go, oh, God, I'm not going to say anything now because no. they're like this. But they had a point to a degree that there's a difference between understanding what you're going through, what you're feeling, and actually just flippantly going, yeah, yeah, I'm struggling. Well, no, you, you've got to delve a little bit deeper into all that. And as an educator, um, best example I can use is with my kids at the minute. When they lose their nut or get frustrated and they're screaming and thing, and we're trying to, I'm trying to cook dinner or we're trying to get out of the house or you're trying to do something and everything needs to be done now and get you're on, you're moving on to the next thing. You've got to put your clothes on because we've got to go here. You're always in a rush to do something. But if me and my wife try and take a little step back, and it might take a little bit longer, it might take two or three minutes longer to actually engage in what they're feeling, how they're feeling, what's wrong what's wrong with this four-year-old four who's just screaming at me and not being able to vocalise it yet? Wait for it to come down a little bit, then vocalise it. Spend that little bit of extra time working out what specifically is wrong. And this is as basic as it gets. It might have been, oh, he wants a drink. He hasn't got the right drink bottle or something like that. Work out what's wrong with you and then you can move forward. And as an educator, it would be, well, you kind of had a have a duty if you want to. There is always a choice. If you want to have a duty to help your student and listen to, if they turn around and say, oh, I'm struggling with my mental health, I don't want to attend today, take an extra five minutes to go, what is it? What, what is there anything I can do with it? Is there anything that I can help you with? And if they shut the door on you straight away, ask them another time at a different time 
try and remember that. That's not me giving any patronising advice or thing. That's just how I feel about it. Just spend an extra five minutes trying to work it out because it'll be worth it in the end. We've always had um, an approach here that, um, in the sense of if, if a learner or staff member approaches you, then it's one, there's a vulnerability in that, isn't there? A bit, being able to kind of do that, but also there's an immense privilege that they trust you to to say that and how we deal with it. And we do lots of things, as you said, Joe, to kind of probe a little bit, not that we're patronising, not that we're prying, just so we can have, uh, I guess, a, a sort of informed conversation to make sure that we're offering the best kind of support for them. And you touched a little bit in, in your talk to you about that kind of vulnerability and, you know, as an international rugby player still playing, that element of vulnerability must have been a big step to talk about these kinds of things. As you say, it's not traditionally one in the sporting domain to talk about it, but equally not in the male domain from one point of view. So um, how has that been kind of received, I guess, amongst the, the community, the sporting community? Because it, it needs, we need people to, I guess, step above the parapet and we be above the parapet to say this is okay and then others will lead and follow and normalise that. Yeah, there was, there was definitely a big fear I had before expressing. I remember doing um, a documentary for Sky mm -hmm. on on my struggles and it, it was with a friend that the, the director was a friend of mine that he was actually the first guy that I'd spoken to, first person I'd spoken to about the thoughts I was having how dark I was, how, sh how how much I was struggling. And we sort of built a friendship off the back of that. And then a couple of years down the line, we decided, right, we're both in similar boats and we want to go out there and try and help someone else who, who'd been in a similar boat. And I was like, great, great pod project to get involved in. Let's go, let's crack on, let's have a laugh doing it. And we did, loved making it. It all came together. And then it was the night before they were putting it out. And I went, oh, God. And Dave was like, what's the matter? I was like, oh, they're going to put this documentary out tomorrow and I don't want it to happen. She was like, it's a bit late now, isn't it? <laughs> and I went, uh, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, she said, look at this way. Someone had already been in touch, a teammate of mine had been in touch, that his wife had seen an article about me talking about depression. and pass it on to him because he'd been struggling himself. He then got in touch, said, this means so much to me, mate. I've got a better understanding I've got some, this is how I've been feeling. And Daisy reminded me, she said, what was the point of you making this documentary? What was the point of you writing your book? What was the point of you coming out and, and speaking about your struggles? I went, well, I kind of wanted to help someone else if, if they felt the same. And selfishly, it actually made me feel better speaking about it. The more I speak about it with someone, about it made me feel more empowered and understanding of it, of what was wrong with me. And um, she said, so it can flop all at once. You've already achieved what you wanted to do, was to help someone. So then in the actual sporting world, I had those same fears of it's going to be used against me by opposition teams, it's going to be used mm -hmm. against me by selectors, it's going to be used against me by, by my own teammates. They're going to start treating me weird because they're like this guy's weak, this guy's soft, this guy hasn't got the mental resilience to actually dig deep enough when we need him most. Opposition teams will be like, right, we'll just go for him because we know he's, he's soft. Um, 
So there was that panic. But I, ha I haven't had that. Maybe I've had it behind my back. Maybe Tom knows, but I've had plenty of support and plenty of teammates and opposition team members say, yeah, we feel the same. Why, why, can't, you, why can't you speak about your struggles and the tough, part, tough parts as well as your good moments in that? Because I'd say there's more strength in that than bottling it up, forgetting about it, and then it coming out in, in different ways, in addictions, in behavioural issues... They're the issue. They're the issue. You don't want to get to that point. So by by talking openly and, and normalising this conversation will hopefully stop you getting to that point. Absolutely. And I think there's a there's probably a power in own, owning that yourself, Joe, I guess, isn't it? In that actually saying, well, you know, come at me then if you want to. Well, actually, I'm quite comfortable with my own skin to talk about it. Mm. And, um, one of the things that we often talk about here, and lots of wider health mental health campaigns, is that actually you're not on your own with this, and I think that is a powerful thing and one that um, certainly that we still need to have that conversation and how we move from kind of awareness now into some of the things that you've both talked about, having those conversations, checking in, because that that often um, I guess micro questioning and just checking these probably has far more powerful in terms of kind of breaking down some of these barriers, isn't it? I think, I think so. And I think it's, it's not something that just extends in sport. I think it's anyone who you see in a high-performance position uh, and they don't, don't necessarily be in the public eye, there's sort of a natural assumption that, oh, they've got their head screwed on, they know what they're doing. And it's just completely not the case. And I think, um, uh, as we often talk about here, about especially when we come back after a break or whatever it is, that don't, don't assume that the person you're speaking to hasn't just had the worst day of their life yesterday or whenever that might have been. Because And, and even this at this very moment, you might be you know, feeling like you're dying inside. You, you just don't know. And the, and, the, and the skins and the masks we put on top is... Is, 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 is all just for show, really. And, and it's just really spoke about being the version of myself, that trying to figure who, out what that is. And I think it's quite difficult now in terms of identity and so many things going on in the world, so many places we get our source of information from. Who am I? Why am I here? What do I do? All these sort of existential questions. And coming back to someone, one of my heroes, Muhammad Ali, a man who views the world in the same at 50 as he did when he was 20 has wasted 30 years of his life. So... What would you tell yourself, both of you, in terms of that younger version of yourself? So maybe when you're 17, breaking onto the scene, is there anything you would, so if you could, is in front of you, is there any advice, words of wisdom you'd give him? And Tom, would you, what about yourself? Is there anything in terms of starting a journalistic career? <laughs> well, I mean, I can actually almost answer that question perfectly because I'm almost 50. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what I would have told my, the 20-something me, I don't, I don't know because you almost... You almost have to go through those things to become the 50-year-old, don't you? And if you get too much advice and you don't live the experience, then it doesn't hold the same way. Do you know, I probably would have told the 20-year-old me, it's going to be all right. Because when you're 20, I remember coming at the end of my undergraduate degree and feeling like I was falling off a cliff. Because I knew I wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't know any journalists. I had no real idea how you did it. I didn't know anyone in the industry. Um, and it has been fine. And it's, it's not been fine because I've been particularly lucky or anything else. You just, if you want to do something um, and you have the opportunity to do it and you work at it, then you've got a good chance of, of making it. I mean, obviously, you need to help a lot of people and you do need those opportunities. So, I don't know. I think sometimes, Joe, I don't know what you think. When, you are, when you're younger, when you're 18, 19, 20, there are so many things that you could stop you doing things. There's so many reasons to go, I'm not the sort of person who does that. 
I thought at one point, I thought, am I the sort of person who could talk for a living? No. I'm a bloke from Essex who mumbles. You know, there's always reasons not to do stuff. And I so don't you know, think that's, that's it's still the case? But with you, I always think of you going to the Queen's Academy. So for people who aren't rugby fans, Harlequins have uh, uh, an image, Joe, traditional image of being toffs, of being the posh boys, <coughs> being the city boys. That's not you. It's not your background. Pardon? I beg your pardon. <laughs> that is you. Yeah. Your bloody pardon. <laughs> so when you've gone to the Queen's Academy, I could, because I had this at uni, I could imagine how you might look around and go, oh, this isn't for me, this isn't for the likes of me, this is for them. Yeah, I, I felt completely out of place. But I loved rugby. I loved it. And I was like, oh, I love being here. But I was looking around, I was like, they don't talk like I talk. Um, they, they don't, don't dress the same way. They don't look the <laughs> way I look. Um, and but I guess that's, that sort of spurred me on even more to want to like try and prove myself that I was I deserved to be there um, not just for what school I'd gone to what connections I'd had or whatever I, w- I was there because I wanted to be as good as a rugby player as I as I could be um, so that question of uh, what would you tell yourself your younger self in the same way you're like well it's the, as cliched as you don't want to tell them because you want to experience because you're you say that you say that because we we're quite happy with who we are now and with how how our lives are going. You worry that if you told younger self <coughs> that whole what is it um, what was that film the butterfly effect or something that actually it would change <laughs> your end game. Not being here, if I told him to do not dye his hair and then you didn't go and do that. But I think one bit of advice I might give to a younger self. I recently heard it I can't remember it was called This Too Shall Pass and I don't know where it's come from but the meaning of it being even if it even if you're in your darkest moment or the toughest point this too shall pass even if you're in the highest moment and you're you're riding the crest of a wave and you're loving life this too shall pass and having that sort of balance and just having a bit more understanding of, don't worry about it, in the same way you just said, it'll be all right in the end. Um, that's probably what I'd say to him. And I know for a fact that 17 or 18-year-old me would say, <laughs> you can shove that when the sun don't shine, exactly. So it wouldn't be any good telling him advice anyway. Yes. Um, yes, I'm thinking back to my own days as a 17 year old in, in a Valley's rugby community as well and we'd probably say the similar thing as well um, one thing we're, we're again really keen on here Joe is a, I guess a learning uh, provider and you see the kind of wonderful college we're in today is um, how do we um, break down problems and challenges because we've talked a lot today and we about um, your both your respective careers and um, you know it's no happy accident you both sat here today around it you have to work for that and you have to break that down and we're linking it to resilience and how do you um, set those goals for yourself where you want to be and how do you get there I can always remember one of my mentors saying when I was particularly panic day saying um, how, how do you eat an elephant James and I can remember seeing this guy what, 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 do, you, what do you want about she's going to have to eat it bit by bit and I'm curious so as to your you approaches. had a mentor that asked you to eat an elephant yeah he said how do you eat an elephant I and thought I you were going to be peri peri sauce <laughs> <laughs> ketchup <laughs> mayo knife and fork yeah. 
give me a few weeks and I'll get through this elephant. Absolutely. Uh, and it was one of those... <laughs> they were kind of so, it was so adjunct to the question. What do you mean? I've seen it bit by bit. And I've kind of tried to put that into the my career. So how do you look at that problem, whatever it is, whether it's sport, whether it's... And break that down, because we're all about kind of trying to get our learners to understand there is um, a little bit of beauty in the struggle sometimes, and you have to break these goals down. Shall I, shall I give you an example from writing, Joe, before you talk about sport, just briefly? The, so, so I've written 14 books now, I think. Show off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but every time that you start writing a book, you have to start with a blank Word document. And most times, no matter how many times you've done it, you look at that blank Word document and think, oh, how am I going to get 80,000 words here? If you just thought about the 80,000 words and finishing it, you'd never get there. So let's say, like, yesterday when I um, needed to write 4,000 words to keep up with my deadline. If I start the day thinking, oh, my God, I've got 4,000 words to write, then you would be paralysed. But if you think, the 4,000 words will take care of themselves if I just keep writing words, that helps. So you don't start fixating on the end goal. You just do the bit which you know you can do, which is writing sentences. And the 80,000 words, the finished book that you get in its lovely hardback form in the shops, that will happen if you keep doing all those things on a daily basis. And let's say you're struggling to write a sentence. You're not sure where you're going next. That sentence will happen if you just think about what you want to write, if you plan it out. So I don't know if this is the same with you, Joe. I don't know if you ever thought about, I want to play for England, I want to play in a World Cup final, or whether it was just, I'm going to do well in this training session, I'm going to smash that bloke backwards, I'm going to win this hit. That's exactly, it. That's exactly how it started when I was first starting out with, I want to play for Quinns, or I want to get a contract, a professional contract, I want to play for Quinns. And then it was like, well, I got my contract, I play for Quinns, play for England, I want to go on a Lions tour. Like, when you do do them, it's like, right, I've got to reset my goal setting now. Right, I've done that one. What do I want next? What do I want next? And at a younger age, that was all about outcome. Outcome-driven goals where I'm like, that's what I want, that's what I want. And I wouldn't really focus on, right, how am I going to get there? I just put, right, that's my goal. And daily, I wouldn't, I'd just be like, I want to get there, I want to get there, so I'll do this, I'll do that. And the older I've got, the more I've realised it's the process to get to those end goals that matter more. And the way you just spoke about your writing and, and how you do it, where you focus on writing that sentence and just focus on doing those bits and not worrying about the outcome goal that is too far away for you to read, you can focus on those little process ones. Is the same way I now approach it with rugby at the back end of my career, which, you know, you'd think I'd have learned it a bit earlier, <laughs> but you don't until you're a bit, bit older. And you go, no, in, in training this week, I've got to focus on my left shoulder tackling because I want to be a better defender moving forward. And then my long-term goal is that'll help me win games for Quinns. And then my longer-term goal is that'll help the team win the Prem. But they're goals that you would like to achieve, but you have less control of, particularly in team sport. Mm. So I try and focus on the ones that I can affect and control by setting those smaller process goals where I'm like, right, I've got to do my gym session, I know what I'm doing there. I've got to do extra scrum drills, I know what I'm doing there. So goal setting for me has been massively important in, in terms of achieving what I've achieved. And for the record, no elephants have been harmed in this production. 
I thought yet. I got elephant for lunch. You were looking no, forward to that, weren't you? I was, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, only of natural causes. I know yeah. you're vegan. Are you veggie or vegan? Veggie, yeah. Veggie. So you wouldn't even... So elephants interesting. Still. Are they? Yeah. But they yeah, they are. Yeah. Oh, God, they are, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I went, are they? That's a really stupid admission. Ridiculous. Goal setting. I mean, are you interested in coaching? Would you Would you see yourself doing that? You know, no. No? But all the stuff Mainly because I know full well I'd come up against someone who was like me when I was 24 <laughs> and I'd go I can't deal with someone like that so God knows how any of my coaches are. in fact they haven't actually they've just gone we'll ignore him <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe the game needs you to, to do that sort of thing no I don't think my uh, <laughs> it's a hard sell you yeah <laughs> I don't think my wife will be oh Dace I'm, I'm retiring now oh good you can be around more for the for the kids yeah, but I'm going to go into coaching. So, oh, right, so you're around much less than you were playing. <laughs> no, not for me. Good. So um, thank you very much for, for, for coming. Um, this was our sixth CBC podcast on the 13th, Friday the 13th. Um, and you can find all our resources on Instagram and Twitter at CABC Voice. And we've also got a YouTube channel because we've done that clever thing of filming it at the same time of recording. It's, uh, it's trendy these days to do that. Uh, trendy, yeah. We should age. do that. Yeah. We should try do, and do, do that. Do you not yes. do that? It's very Occasionally, but they kind of don't like people see it. Apparently, we're not popular to be looked at. Aren't we? No, Was it face to radio? Face to radio. Yeah. Face to radio. Yeah. Say the opposite. You know, to, these guys will sort you out. They'll come down with their kit. Um, but we very much look forward to welcoming you here again. You're welcome anytime. Thank you for listening to our seventh CABC podcast. All of our resources can be found through Instagram and Twitter at CABC Voice, as well as our YouTube channel, Voice at CABC, where you can see this podcast in action. Learning for life is a shared experience, so do follow us and share amongst your circles. We look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you to our guests and most importantly to our production team behind the scenes. Thank you and goodbye. Voice. Learning for life.